You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ Team Leader, former Indoc Instructor Supervisor, Entrepreneur, and Physician Assistant Student, Brian Silva. What's up, everybody? Brian Silva for One's Ready Podcast. Today we have uh, OB in the studio again, talking about the Thai cave rescue. So if you haven't checked out the other episode, you can go check it out on YouTube podcast. Basically, we talk about this guy saving saving babies on planes, dudes from tractor fires, and a bunch of other awesome stuff. As long as and he won the you know twelve outstanding airman of the year. So he's a PJ stationed out in Okinawa, uh, special tactics team leader, and we're really glad to have him on the show again. So, OB, um, thanks again for being on here. We also have Aaron and Trent here in the team room. What up? So, what's up? So, we're just going to be going over the Thai Cave Rescue. It's a pretty complex mission set. If you didn't hear about it, it was in the news all over the place. Um, If you, by chance, didn't pay attention to international news as it applies to pararescue men in 2018 and And you might have been one of the people in the cave. (laughs) You actually might have want to been. You might have been one of those people underneath a rock. And you already know Ob. So um, yeah. So check it out. You can look at the news stories. There's lots of graphics. There's a movie about it. So you can look at all that kind of stuff and just get the big overview of what the cave looked like and what the people making the actions and doing all that stuff look like. But we got Ob here to actually explain to us and to you guys exactly what it was like to be there and. A couple stories of lessons learned and that kind of thing that you guys can um, look back on for you guys that are looking towards uh, this type of career field. So, um, like I said, overview of everything was there were kids, as far as I understood it, reading the article, there were 12 uh, kids that were with their coach and they were going kind of in these caves and wandering around a monsoon hit and it kind of locked them in there. Um, there was a, a bunch of different obstacles that they had to climb into. I'll let you explain, you know, what they were really doing in there because I didn't understand that portion of the story. But <laughs> that's kind of the overview that I got. And they're in there for a, a long time. And you had international forces that were coming around from all over the world trying to help these guys out. And even Elon Musk at some point helping these guys are trying to figure out solutions. Um, but that's the big overview from what I understand it, if you don't mind kind of clarifying and, you know, adding in whatever little key factors you think people need to know about. Yeah. So, uh, thanks again for having me on. Um, it actually wasn't abnormal for them to go into this cave. Uh, but it started in 23 June. Um, I believe is one of their uh, birthdays and, um, it was like a rite of passage. They would go to this certain point in the cave and write their names on the wall. And that's what they were doing. So it wasn't anything too crazy. Um, the big problem was that most of them did not tell their parents. Only like a couple of them told them where they were going. And they went the week prior to when the rainy season usually starts. And of course, rainy season decided, hey, we're going to start early this year. So, you know, it's bright skies, good to go when they went in. Um, and then a storm hit and flooded while they were in there and then they were unable to get out. Um, and then they went further back trying to find a different way out and then they kind of got trapped. So that's one of the biggest questions I always get is like, how did they get in there? Why'd they go so far? (laughs) But it really wasn't an uncommon thing. And some people think like, this was so complicated. How did a bunch of kids do it? I'm like, well, 
I love the arm. I love the armchair quarterbacking. Oh, if it was so complicated, how did a bunch of kids do it? <laughs> like you have no yeah. idea what the cave looks like. You're just assuming yeah. based off a Wikipedia article and two like Vox articles how this happened. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess it wasn't exactly. that complicated. And yeah. fifty pound or like a hundred pound kids are the best climbers out there. If you put any kid on <laughs> anything, yeah, they can true. climb up any face rock face. Man, I, I had a three year old that could climb on a couch. I mean, like seconds, she would be like <laughs> yeah. three times her height. I, it was just it yeah. was lickety split. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. I, it wasn't because I was a bad parent. It was just because she was so good at it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it was a, a struggle for them to necessarily get in there. And uh, another question: people would be like, well. If it was so hard for you guys to fit through here, like how did they fit? Well, one, they're half our size, if not less. And then also, this is a cave that's flooded and muddy. And so there could have been a, you know, 24 by 24 foot hole, five feet to our right, and no one would know it was there. (laughs) So who knows what that thing looks like when it's not flooded. But um, anyway, so they go in there, they get stuck. um, And then their parents start to try to, you know, figure out what's going on. Like where has all of our kids just disappeared? Like where'd they go? Um, and, uh, I think a couple of parents had known, so they, they went to the cave and then they saw all the bicycles there. Um, so they're like, okay, obviously they stopped here. Um, and then some people went into the cave, uh, and then found some of their shoes and some book bags. So then that was a guarantee that, the, you know, that they obviously went in there. Um, but they couldn't get to them because it was flooded. So, the uh, Thai authorities and government tried to handle it, try to figure out how they were going to do this. I think they started calling their military in, um, but then they realized like, hey, this is too big. Um, we're not the experts in this. We need to request help. So, they yeah, sent which, out. And by the way, that's how it happened stateside too. Like yeah. we're going to get into how it is that you got tasked, but a lot of times, especially on civilian rescues for the PJ side, for people that don't know about it, this is exactly how these things flow out. You know, local and state authorities will show up and they'll be like, hey, can we do this? Can we not do this? And sometimes they're like, man, this is a little bit too complex. We need to start upping, you know, going up the chain and going up the algorithm for who we're going to call. So, you know, so far, pretty much a standard sort of rescue, it sounds like. And, and Obi, can you clarify, like these, these kids were all on a soccer team or something together. We're not talking about like a roving boy band of Thai kids, right? Yeah, yeah, they were on a soccer team. They're called the Wild Boars. Um, so we actually called this Operation Wild Boar. Oh, um, that's a great operation name. Well yeah. done. Operation Wild yeah. Boar. Yeah, so there was 12 of them and then their coach um, that were that were missing. Um, yeah, so they, they put out an international call. Hey, we need some help. So um, that's when uh, the British divers, they were uh, world-renowned civilian cave divers, they got tasked through their, or I think requested, I wouldn't say tasked, uh, requested through their government um, and, and other people from all around the world, Australia, um, a few other European countries all kind of converged. And at the same time, the U.S. also got requested. And uh, basically it went to um, SOCPAC, which is Special Operations Command Pacific in Hawaii. And there was actually... Uh, luckily there was a combat controller from the 320 special tactics squadron that was working there. And he was like, Hey, I know who can figure this problem out. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how it got dropped down to the, uh, special operations group in Kadena, um, that we fall under. So, uh, 
when we got the task and then we're like, Hey, we don't have enough guys for this. Um, cause this, we only have a few PJs. Um, we had combat controllers, but we knew we needed more, um, more rescue specialists basically. So we requested it, uh, from the rescue squadron that's across the airfield. And, uh, one of their guys happens to be a cave diver prior to becoming a PJ. Um, but he was on leave and he was flying in <laughs> of course, course. Yeah, right. uh, somewhere. He was cave diving on leave. Who approved <laughs> this guy's leave? Get him, yeah, so get him in here immediately. We actually were ready on the tarmac, all of our stuff packed out and we're waiting for him to come from the airport at Naha. And so he came right from leave and then just showed up on the plane and was like, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. he's here. We can go. And for, um, yeah. So, real quick, just you know, from notification, because some of these, whether you're deployed or you know at home station, some of these kind of roll down a little bit slowly, and it's kind of like, oh, I heard that we might be doing this, like you know, a couple days out, and then they're like, are they going to pull the trigger on this kind of thing? So, how far from like notification, you're like, oh, we might be going to Thailand for doing to do something, to you on the tarmac and made up with this guy, and you fly off. Yeah, so it was actually fairly quick. Um, basically, we were strangely getting ready for dive training that day. So that's always the way. That's always the way yeah. it goes, isn't it? It's so <laughs> it's so ironic that you put that out there. You're just like, oh yeah. And then you hear, I, I love hearing about these things too, because you're like, you hear about the situation going on. You're like, we're not going on this thing. And then like triggers keep getting met. You're like, are we really going on this thing? And then pretty soon yeah. you're just you're loading gear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we had it out and. Um, they're like, hey, have you guys kept track with this thing happened in Thailand? Um, so this was about three days after it, they had been stuck in there. And none of us had heard of it. They're like, well, kids are trapped in a cave. Um, we may be going to help. And first thought was like, how can we help in a flooded cave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not dive, like we're dive qualified, but we're definitely not cave dive qualified. And they're like, nah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and, we'll help somewhere else. and for people know. that don't understand, first of all, dive operations in and of themselves are very complex. Like there's a certain amount of, you have to have a lot of people that can actually dive. There's a limit to how many times you can dive and how deep and all this other stuff. But put on top of that, cave diving is a sport that kills the people that are best at the sport. Like cave diving kills the people that are world renowned for being the best cave divers pretty uh, regularly. So to even imagine taking on this sort of thing on a whim and just being like, hey, well, we were going to do some diving. Let's go. Like, Good on you guys. Like that is a that, that is a bold move. I like it. Yeah. yeah so that was kind of crazy. And basically I called my wife and I was like, hey, make me a bag. She's like, for how long? I was like, nah, I don't know. Four days, maybe. It's going to be much longer than that, you know? Three weeks later. It's it's like the scene in SpongeBob. Three weeks later. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, we get tasked. And then I think there was a few hours, maybe, where it was kind of like, we don't know, but get ready anyway. So, um, we start prepping. And I think by the time we were on the tarmac was maybe... uh, six to eight hours if that um and we're ready to go because by the time the whole timeline we got notified 18 hours later we had people at the cave in thailand so we went from japan to thailand with all of our gear and all our people in 18 ish hours um so that you know that's pretty impressive that's not Um, that's not bad at all good on you guys to, to move that many people um so i think we took roughly around 15 operators uh, about half combat controllers, half uh, 
Power Rescue. And then we took another probably about 10 um, support personnel, communications, um, public affairs, uh, logistics, and uh, IDMT, a medic, and then a flight doctor, um, maybe a few others. Um, but yeah, we all just showed up. And basically, at that point, we didn't know what we were tasked with, really. It was go and advise and assist the Thai government on whatever they need. So it was kind of like show up and we're like, hey, we're here. We're here to help. And they're, <laughs> they're more like, who are you? And, you know. Why are you here? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You're like team number eight to show up. Like, which country are you from? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing here? Yeah. And even at that point, we showed up and, you know, there was hundreds, if not a thousand people running around in front of this cave. Um, and most of us went to go start uh, like our rest cycle. And then some of our leadership went into the cave to kind of assess it. And basically they came out and they were like, this is super dangerous. There's no way we're diving in this thing. Like we're going to help somewhere else because they could visibly see the water rising and the current was really strong. Um, it was just volatile. So um, they were, they were just worried that like we were going to get into something that was, you know, way over our head. We're already over our head, but it's going to be like way over our head. Um, so they came to us and they're like, Hey, you know, don't worry about the cave necessarily. Our job is to find another way into the cave. Um, so we were with the Thai special forces up in the jungle trying to find entrances on top of this mountain. Um, and this was no small mountain and the jungle was thick. The trees were covered in like these poisonous caterpillars they must not be that poisonous because I grabbed a hold of a couple on accident. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was rough out there. And um, I, I hope you don't take I hope you don't take offense to this, Ob. But I am so sick of hearing how cool you are. <laughs> now we got tree. Now we got trees with poisonous caterpillars. You're saving babies, cats and dogs yeah. living together, and you always find yourself. Are, are we calling you the silver cloud or the gray cloud? Like, what are we supposed to call you? Like. Get out of here, man. The great cloud. But it turns out to be yeah. okay. All right. I like well. the silver cloud thing, though, because there's like, it's gray, but there's a silver lining on everything because it kind of just all works out. It's, we're yeah. going to call you the gunmetal cloud because it just sounds cooler. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, so we're tasked with finding these alternate entrances and uh, we're walking around and it, you know, we always overpack. And so we're like, well, we need to have SATCOM capability. We need to have full on med rugs. We need all this stuff. Oh, so you're just heavy and walking like, through the jungle. Each guy needs to have six liters of water. And, <laughs> you know, the ties are walking by us with like a water bottle in their pocket and a t-shirt. You know? <laughs> and they're just, just running up these mountains and we're just struggling. And, uh, the poor controllers, they're carrying SATCOM, you know, 117 golfs, all these radios, and we get to the top and our cell phones work. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was a rough few days. Um, <laughs> and, of course, we didn't find anything. Like, we found some holes, but, you know, they didn't, they didn't lead to anything. So, um, and then it was like, okay, maybe we can drill into this mountain and, like, basically drill and then, you know, put a long camera in and find proof of life. I believe was the plan. Um, we were just like, okay, you know, <laughs> whatever. And then it was like, okay, how are we going to get a drill on top of this mountain with, you know, jungle? 
This is this is essentially the plot to Armageddon, but in Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. what this is? Like yeah. yeah. Was that where yeah. Elon Musk came in? Like with the gigantic <laughs> drill and some kind of sweet little submarine. But um oh, okay. Yeah, so then we have to we find this area, the controllers kind of do a semi survey and are like, okay, if the jungle's gone, this would work. So now we've got to make the jungle gone. And uh, of course, we didn't bring our chainsaws, our really awesome chainsaws that we have just sitting in our solar barn, never been used. Perfect. We had to go on, go on, you know, downtown and buy these little baby chainsaws. <laughs> and we cut down and made a, a helicopter landing zone. We actually made two of them. Um, I think they only ended up using one, but um, and then they sling loaded a, a drill into the location and started drilling. Um, around this time was when. No matter how many times they told us, hey, you're not diving, they're like, hey, uh, we need four volunteers. We're going to start diving. And we're like, oh. Oh, <laughs> okay. man. So, so myself and three other guys volunteered uh, to be the first ones to, to go in. And that's when the whole other adventure started. Let me just uh, try and understand this real quick. So <laughs> there's people working on the ground, on the mountain, like you're hacking down trees, Meanwhile, other people are diving down yeah. there, right? Like all the Thai guys and whoever else showed up and Australians and stuff yeah, are so doing their point, own yeah, thing. Yeah, the Thais were diving and the um, British divers uh, were diving. And basically they were going in and set, setting up uh, guidelines and then just trying to go as far in as they could. And meanwhile, you guys are essentially doing pathfinder duties, clearing HLZs and drilling into the mountain to try to figure this thing out. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. And we had other people um, doing aerial searches. Um, and then there was a whole nother outside of us. There was a whole nother pumping operation going on, throwing in these big pumps into the cave, trying to draw the water out. Oh, my God. That's yeah. just wild, dude. Yeah. And then, you know, other teams just trying to figure out what's the actual layout of this cave. Because we had like four different maps, all from different years and nothing. They were all similar, but nothing really jived. And, um, and we also were realizing, we're like, man, we're pumping all this water out. We're destroying fields. Like, people's <laughs> life, life is just destroyed. <laughs> oh, and no. the water's not changing. And they figured out that the water table there, basically from like three or four different countries, if it rains, it affects the water table in that specific cave. <laughs> so, so there's no pumping it out. Yeah. yeah, you're, but you're pumping out the ocean. One more pumps, yeah. and they actually were able to uh, stabilize it. Um, we didn't realize it. They were actually stabilizing it until later, but um, it was doing something. It just wasn't doing what we had wanted. You know, we wanted just like, and we drained it out like a bathtub, and we're good, and we'll walk in. That wasn't going to happen. And who had like overall oversight as far as like the American forces, how much say did you guys actually have? Because you, you mentioned that you guys specifically like your unit went out and purchased saws, you know, chainsaws to go clear down the field where you guys like, this is my idea. We're going to press with it. And they would really just, you know, the tie seals would do kind of whatever, you know, good ideas popped up or how did that work out? Yeah. So no, we were there specifically advise and assist. We are not in charge. Um, you know, like we were basically there as a, uh, a provider, like, what do you need? Um, and then we did have to kind of figure out who was in charge because there were so many different entities trying to coordinate it. And, uh, basically there was just like a couple guys in the Thai government trying to coordinate all this. And 
try to keep track and not everyone would check in with them. You know, people would just show up and start doing stuff. Um, like we were in the mountains and we'd walk for hours to go to a, the site that they think there's a hole in there and we'd get there and there's like 50 dudes already there. Like, oh no. Cool. I'm so glad I just walked up here with my, that had to be so pack. frustrating. Yeah. That had to be <laughs> yeah. so frustrating for you guys too. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been kind of in those areas where you're just like, who's in charge. It like our natural inclination is just to be like, all right, everybody, I'm going to talk louder and we're going to organize this thing. Did you, did you ever feel that frustration to where you're like, just let us take this thing over? Yeah. I mean, we obviously had that frustration, but we also had to realize like, this isn't like, we're here to help. This isn't our people. You know? It's, it's literally it an struggle. international incident. Yeah. Um, and, and it was like, as much as frustrated as we were, like, like you kind of said, the same stuff happens in the States. Every time there's a disaster, it's just this like fight of like, who's in charge. Okay. Who's in charge today? Yeah. And who's in charge the next day. And, um, but yeah, so we're trying to figure that out. And the reason we got tasked to dive now was, um, as they're putting lines in these guidelines, they're like, Hey, we need a lot more air tanks because we don't know how long this is going to take. We don't know how far they are. They had a rough idea. There's a place called uh, Patia Beach inside the cave, and it was kind of like a higher area. Um, but they didn't know how long it would take. And so they're like, we need, I think the number was around 300 air tanks. Right? We need 300 air tanks in this cave as soon as possible. That seems like too many air tanks, but okay, I go on. it was two, and I don't <laughs> know how many were used, but a lot were used. Um, so, because I kind of laughed like, they're not going to find 300 air tanks in Thailand, let alone get them here. Oh no, they found them and they got them there super wow. fast. Um, I don't know where they, like, they just yeah. came out of nowhere. Manifested. Yeah. So then we had to figure out how we're going to do this. Um, and we had, uh, so we had ourselves, we had an Australian police diving team. They're kind of like their FBI divers. Um, we had a Chinese dive team. And then we had the Thai seals and there was a whole bunch of them. Um, so we had these four different people, different countries. And then we we're going to try to do the same, like we had the same task. So we're like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? Um, so the ties had the most numbers. So we threw them in. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about chambers a lot. And, but chamber two was this huge chamber with like these 100, 200 foot cliffs. And um, it was pretty, pretty gnarly in there. So we put them in there because they had the numbers they could spread out. Um, and our goal was to get the tanks from outside all the way into chamber three. Um, and that's where more of the really technical diving started. So they, they were going to just pre-stage there. So we put the ties through chamber two. And then chamber one, we we're going to have the U.S., um, the Chinese, and the Australians because we, we all had smaller teams. Um, and so we're like, okay, cool. This is how we're going to work. Made sure everyone knew the plan. And we're just going to go in here and we're going to see, you know, what this is like. None of us had been in there. Like the first time I went to dive, I had a dive tank on. And the first time I ever went in the cave, you know, so I'm like, I have wow. no idea what I'm what getting myself that? into. So what did, it, what did it look like as far as like you walked up to the water? Uh, I've never really been cave diving. I assume since it was like, you know, torrential flooding that it was all you know murky and you couldn't really see too much down there and it was a cave so it was most likely dark aside yeah. from whatever lights they can provide but what was that yeah, like so yeah they provided some lights in there or at least 
um, to the, the initial dive site. There was like a maybe 200 meter walk uh, to get to the first time you had to dive. And they had some lights set up there. And then we had um, lights on our helmet. We made sure each person had two light sources. And we kind of did a deep or not even deep dive, a rough, this is how not to die while cave diving class <laughs> with wow. Jamie Brisbane, who was the, the PJ that knew how to dive or cave dive. And so he kind of just wrote it on a board like, this is how you don't die. You know, don't get, <laughs> don't get trapped. Make sure your air is full. Yeah. And so, oh uh, my God. So we go in there and yeah, so you can't, if you turn the lights off, it's just black. Um, and then you can't see through the water, uh, just complete, just mud water basically. And, um, you kind of, you walk to the rock wall and it looked like it was just a rock wall that went down into water, but actually you you would go underwater and then you went under that wall. <laughs> um, and, but, and I guess the biggest thing is we didn't know how big the next chamber was because we were asking people, but no one was really giving us the right answer. So we sent the first two guys in and we're like, okay, if, if we don't hear from you in 10 minutes, you know, we'll, we'll go to you. Um, because we, we realized we can't follow Navy dive manual rules in a cave. So like the, our rules is if you send a diver by themselves, it has to be tended like on a line, but you can't have someone, you know, hooked onto a line trying to maneuver through a cave. Yeah. Because the line will follow them. The line will actually like catch them on stuff. And Oh man. Yeah. So it was one of those, we had to kind of do a risk management, like, okay, we were going to blatantly break Navy dive rules (laughs) because like we can't do it safely if we follow the rules. So that was kind of a conversation we had to have with a few people. This has all of the hallmarks of a great PJ mission. You guys got (laughs) You guys got to break those rules. More guidelines. They're more, they're more guidelines than anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we sent you guys in 10 minutes go by. I'm the safety diver. 15 minutes go by. And then we're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, we don't want to panic, you know, obviously, but they're breaking the timeline. And then I'm about to go. Like, I regular in my mouth. I've been checked. I'm about to go try to find these guys. And they pop up, and they were just like, it's way bigger than we thought. <laughs> and they, um, and that, what, that's what they want to do. They wanted to see how big their our little area of responsibility was. And it was, like, probably four times what we thought it was going to be. Oh, wow. Um, and we only had four divers ready at that time, U.S. divers at least. So we're like, well, we don't want to just wait. So we're going to try to do this. And so we start moving tanks. And we wouldn't see each other for like 20 minutes. You're just like walking through this cave by yourself, dragging them through the water. Yeah, after it was a dive, it really wasn't that long. And you just kind of popped up. And uh, and that was where we had to carry them. And so we, we wouldn't see each other forever. And then... We ended up, we just drop them off and like put a chem light or something on them so they could find them. And, uh, we kind of did that and we just, we did shifts and, um, we did that for at least two days, if not, I think it was only two days, uh, but we spent some hours in there and, um, we take them all the way into chamber two and the Thai seals had set up a rope system, like a pulley system to get them up over these cliffs, uh, which was really smart because it was real muddy. And uh, we just kept doing that, and we got all those tanks in there uh, within a couple of days. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool to be able to do what, that. What was the uh, depth and distance that you had to kind of go through in order to get those tanks to the other side of the chamber? Yeah, so it was, I mean, you only went like a foot or two down. 
Um, and then the distance was probably maybe 50 yards. It really wasn't that far. Um, but that's the thing yeah. is like when people think cave, you're thinking like a small cave that like a bear resides in. What was it? What was the total area that you guys were working? Like how big was this cave complex? Like if you uh, uh, I think a football was, field or whatever you want to compare it to. Well, I think like the whole thing all the way to where the kids ended up being. We're looking at maybe a couple miles. Oh, um, crap. Oh, dang. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe, I, I heard a lot of different things and I was trying to look at a map and try to figure out. But like I'll get into it later. But it, just the travel to get a kid all the way out was like five hours. Oh, wow. This, this yeah. Was a, this was a cave. Like this is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't even tracking that, man. Like I, I, yeah, I had seen. long. I had seen some diagrams and stuff, obviously not to scale. Uh, yeah, yeah. However, I, I just, yeah, I, I was, you hear cave rescue and you're just like, oh yeah, I mean, it, it's a cave. You just, you walk right in it yeah. and come back yeah, out. It was, a, it was a long one. Luckily it was just a one way in, one way out. There was only one shoot off mm-hmm. and they were able to realize that there's like no way they could have went that way. Cause if there would have been multiple branches, like this, there's no way. Um, but yeah, so the actual dive was pretty short, but it was still weird. Mm-hmm. obviously um and it was kind of like diving under a boat because uh, you're like bumping your head on stuff and you realize that like i can't come up if i want you know like i have to either go this way, oh, or go this way. no you know so that mentally that's a little weird um and we had guys that you know they spent hours and all they did was they went back and forth back and forth and they would pop up and they would just stand there and someone would clip as many tanks on them as they could move and then they would swim stand up, someone would hook them off and then they just did that. And then the rest of us would carry them around and all that. Um, and, uh, so, so from, you know, kind of notification or whenever they first got into the cave, these 12 kids and their coach to this point right now where you guys are kind of, you know, bringing the tanks up to the second, uh, phase, then how much time has elapsed so far? And the kids are kind of, they didn't have any lunches or water or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, How much so time do you think? I think to, to this time, they'd been in there for like a week to eight days, I think. Because um, they were in there 23rd. Um, and I think this was around the 1st is when we were doing this. Um, so they'd been in there a long time, like to the point where we we're like, the odds are they're probably not alive, or at least some of them have not survived. Um, and once we got all those tanks in there, uh, the divers were able to continue on and keep searching. And then on the 2nd of July, um, so after they'd been in there for like nine, 10 days, uh, that's when the British divers, uh, found them and found all of them. Um, and that was insane. Cause really at that point we were like, eh, I don't know how mm-hmm. this is going to go. You know, how did that, did that affect the teams? I'm, I'm sure you guys probably had to talk about, you know, the, the real possibility of, Hey, is this a rescue or is this kind of moving towards a recovery? How did you deal with that? Yeah. So I think luckily we're pretty used to that, you know, being able to transition from rescue to recovery and kind of change the speed and the way we think about it. So it wasn't too bad. Like obviously, you know, you're thinking about a bunch of kids and you know, that, that does wear on you, but um, it was just guys understood that this was going into it. They already understood there was a huge chance that they weren't going to survive. So, um, but I, I do know the, the British divers I talked to, they struggled with the fact that they found these kids, they're all alive. And then they have to swim back out, not knowing if they'll ever be able to come 
see them again. Yeah. Well, you know, and I so, guess what, what was the feeling when the British divers came back and they were like, holy crap guys like this, like, they're all alive. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those like rejoice. We're so excited. They're all alive. And then like, how are we going to get them out well, of there? Even just, <laughs> even just saying it, even just saying it to you right now of like that feeling, like I was getting goosebumps cause I've been in that situation. We're like, holy cow that we got to, we have a shot at this thing. Like that had yeah. to be, that had to be awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but then that, you know, as and awesome then, as that was. And the then reality the, reali- the reality sets in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're like, okay, the water's not going to recede for like four months. And that's what we were told by the, the history of that cave. And we're like, we have a bunch of kids in here that maybe not a swim, maybe not. But that doesn't really matter because they're in a cave <laughs> and it's flooded. So, like, it doesn't matter if they can swim. So, uh then we started trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? Um, and we're working with, you know, obviously all the cage dive specialists, you know, the ties and then us trying to figure this problem out. And, um, it was like, the, it was the last thing that we ever thought we were going to do or wanted to do was try to dive these out. Cause this has never happened before. Like there's been dive rescues of a cave diver or dive body recoveries of a cave diver, but there's never been, a bunch of kids in a cave that get rescued by diving like that's never happened. And I hope it never happens again. Um, and we knew that this was no matter how much risk mitigation we do, like the odds are most of them probably won't survive this. Um, so that was pretty difficult to try to like, you want to mitigate as much as possible, but you really can only do so much. And then trying to execute that plan when you know that, you know, it's probably not going to work out as well as you would like. That was, that was pretty difficult for everyone involved. Um, what was to, the actual age of these kids? Just trying to put, um, wrap my head around like, like how hard it'd be to teach them. like eight to 15 ish, maybe like some of them were tiny. Um, and so, and that kind of caused an issue too. It's like, okay, we got a bunch of kids that are fairly different sizes. You know, how are we going to do this? Um, so then we started figuring out the plan. We're like, okay, divers will go in, they'll get them and then they're going to dive them out. Okay. How can we do this? All right. So if we use a normal scuba regulator and that thing gets bumped out of their mouth, not, not good. Okay. So we'll use a full face. Sweet. Full face dive masks are not made for little for kids. eight year old Thai kids. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Like what are you, what are you going to do? So strangely, the school, a local school volunteered to have us test it out on their kids, like some of the kids' friends. All right, hold on. Went to the pool and actually tested this thing out. You're you're telling me that you had an actual human trial in a pool and kids volunteered to help you guys out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the government allowed it. That is (laughs) testing on kids. Wild. I had never heard that before. That's crazy. I think it's so at the time it didn't seem weird to us, but then you really think about it, you're like, yeah, that's weird. In retrospect, you're like, wow, that's insane. It it shows the buy in that this country had. They were like, we're going to get these kids out. Man, that's awesome. No, no matter what. So, yeah. And the fact that the kids, their friends were like, yeah, all right. so, yeah, so they tested it out and figured out that the mask actually would work. You just have to crank on them. And then, um, and then we're like, okay, 
well, five hours in this cave and this water is not warm. We're like, these kids will die of hypothermia. So we're like, okay, we'll swim in wetsuits to them. <laughs> well, they also don't really make a lot of wetsuits in Thailand for little kids. Oh, so man. we're like, okay, well, we're going to have to figure it out. You know, so some of these kids had some big old wetsuits on. <laughs> it was, you know, we had to do what we had to do. Um, and then, so we figured out the, how they're going to breathe, figure out how to get them from, you know, freezing to death. And then we're like, okay, we can't really like to put someone through that traumatic of an experience that's not used to diving, doesn't know what's going on. And it's just been in a cave for like two weeks at this point. Like the divers were like, we cannot do this if they're conscious, like this will mess them up for life. If they even survive, odds are they're going to kill themselves and us by freaking out. So did the the Thai kids and the coach in the cave, did they speak English? Uh, I think like one of them did. Okay. Did you guys ever have an interpreter that you had to dive in or get one of those Thai seals to go in and explain the plan? Yeah. So it might've been around the same time that we were planning this, um, four Thai seals and one Thai, uh, Navy or Thai army doctor went all the way back. And then, um, one of the kids would also translate if, you know, whenever the British divers would, uh, go up to them and, um, they'd actually even almost every day, someone would go back there, you know, after we found them and they were, uh, having them write notes, to their families and then bringing them back and then doing a really, really long text message, basically, uh, that way, you know, the kids had some contact and, and getting more, um, atmospherics on what's going on. And also during that, I kind of miss, we, we suspected that the oxygen levels were dropping in the cave. Oh, perfect. Um, so we, Cause it's not complex enough. Yeah. So, so we put in an atmospheric monitor, um, so that, you know, we could show that, yeah, the, the O2 is going down. Um, yeah. And then the more I think about it, I just keep thinking of other stuff. Like another issue we ran into before we even figure out how we're going to get them out is like, Okay, they haven't eaten or drank water. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were transporting food and water in there, yeah. Um, They said they were drinking water off the cave, like it would drip, and they would just kind of sit there and it would land in their mouth, so. Can I ask at this point, so from home station to where you're at now, it seems like every three hours your expectation or your bar of normal to difficult keeps going up. Like, did you ever look back at, at any point and be like, this is getting out of control? Like yesterday, I thought this was difficult. But today, it's, it's like exponential growth on the what I used to consider difficult, yeah. you know, scale. Yeah, it, it, it definitely changed. And what we thought we wouldn't do, you know, through mission planning and risk assessment, we'd be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, we do that. Or, you know, there was always some curveball that would come at us or um, you had to adjust a lot. Um, and that was our, our commander and our senior enlisted uh they were crushing it because they were taking the brunt of all that. And then they would just filter it down in like bite-sized chunks to the team guys. And we'd be like, okay, yeah, we can f- figure this problem out or, or whatever. Um, Cause like the food and water thing was, that was a huge issue. It was like, okay, how do we get food and water back into this cave? Like you can't just carry it, you know? So uh, the divers actually had this PVC pipe tube that they used for carrying stuff. And we shoved it full of MREs as many as we could fit in there. And then we took a Skedco bag. So our, you know, our litters 
and we shoved that full of MREs, but then we couldn't get it to sink. So then we had to like fill it oh, up with sand no. and rocks and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So we had a Skedco bag and then the PVC pipe. And then we had enough food in there for them to survive, depending on how much they ate for another week or so. Um, and we were told, I think there was about four or five of us, like, hey, take this in and take it as far as you can. Uh, which they probably should have given us more guidelines on that, but we're like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, I think this was on the 4th of July, I believe. Um, and so we start walking and actually it was awesome. It was, it was just a group of us. No one had been in there that day. The water was clear and we were just having a, our own little hiking trip in this, in this uh, cave. Um, and the water had receded a little bit. So we were able to get all the way to the back of chamber two without any uh, diving. Um, and at this point also in the operation, we decided we don't want to carry scuba tanks on our backs anymore. It's just, it's too heavy and it was kind of sketchy in chamber two with those cliffs. And so another improvised thing that hopefully is never written down that you can do is we use the aircraft bailout bottles. They're like this big. Mm-hmm. And we Are just you talking like the low, our- the low pressure <laughs> yellow bottles? Yeah, we made like 550 cord harnesses for them and strapped into our belts. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, low drag. Because why know? not? So, yeah, because why not? Yeah. It's already dangerous enough. We might as well try some movie type stuff. I can't wait till Ryan yeah. Gosling plays you in a movie and I get to watch this happen <laughs> on the big screen. Yeah. So, uh, so we get to the end of Chamber 2 and none of us had ever been past that. So we're like... Well, they told us to take it as far as we want. You know, we have these tanks on us. Like, might as well go to chamber three. You know, so <laughs> we dive through there, and uh, we had to squeeze through this area that was like pretty tiny. Um, like you had to wiggle through it. And uh, once we got to the other end, uh, we had some ties behind us, some tie seals, and one of them had an issue and actually had a shallow water blackout. And so. We just happened to randomly be there again. I just happened to randomly be there and we were able to assist them in, uh, in resuscitating him and brought him back. And, and he went about his day and we went about our day and I don't think we ever saw him again. Um, <laughs> I think every time you show up just in time to rescue someone, we can stop using the word random because it just doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just too consistent. It's like, well, yeah, this is the plan <laughs> yeah. from wherever that Obi was going to be there to rescue whoever needed rescuing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was lucky. And, um, and so we drop off the food and then we're coming back out and then it's, again, we, we run into some of our leadership and we're like, all right, so this happened. (laughs) This just happened. And, uh, um, so that was pretty eventful 4th of July for us. Um, but yeah, so we're able to get food and water back to them and, you know, that gave us a little bit more time to, to figure this, this problem out. Um, so yeah, back to how we were actually going to take them out. What we ended up doing was, um, like we were able to get an Australian world renowned cave diver who also was an anesthesiologist. Don't know how that works, but it's quite the resume there. Yeah. yeah. So he was able to show up and then him and our, our PJ med director and a few other docs figured out a way to medically, um, sedate the, the children and get them out so that they won't freak out the divers will be safer and that they won't remember it so they won't have you know ptsd or any other psychological issues um 
And then we just had to go through the process of, you know, getting that approved. Um, Cause it is kind of weird to go to, you know, the Thai government and be like, Hey, so we're going to drug up a bunch of kids and then we're going to dive them out of the <laughs> Cool. You know? <laughs> I Man, I cannot wait to find out that this has all been an elaborate ruse. I got it. If you told this, if you told this story, if you sat somebody down and you're like, listen to what happened, there's no way that I'd believe this. Like this is fake. <laughs> this is fake news off a Wikipedia article. 100%. Yeah. Yep, just I made all of it up. Um, <laughs> it's, like, really it's like a stolen valor story. It, it really, it like, it, yeah, yeah. So uh, at that point, it was like, okay, now we need to get our mission or our plan approved, and we had all the different specialties, different uh, international teams, all getting together, making sure this all made sense, and then we, you know, we present it to the the Thai government so that they could, you know, give the go ahead. Uh, and then finally we got to go ahead and uh, basically the plan was um, we're going to do four kids a day. Um, and then on the, those, so that was going to be three days uh, to get four. And then we realized uh, the last day we're actually going to have to do five because there was a monsoon coming in. And the last thing we wanted was to leave one person in there. Of course there's um, a monsoon coming in. Why wouldn't yeah, there be a monsoon? Yeah. <laughs> so we had, and we had three days to knock this out before this monsoon was supposed to hit. So um, so we did, you know, four, four, and then five. Um, and the way we separated it out was the British divers who had been there the longest were the ones that were actually going to do the transporting of the children. There's going to be one diver and one kid. Um, and the Australian diver who was the anesthesiologist would be in that, the farthest chamber and he would prep the kids and, you know, get them all ready to go. And they put them in a wetsuit. They um, bungee corded a air tank to their, their chest and then zip tied their hands and their feet together so that they were just a nice like little package, basically, so they wouldn't get caught on anything. Little kid torpedoes? Yeah, little kid torpedoes, yeah. And, um, and then we had some other cave divers that had flown in, had been requested by name, and they came in as, uh, we call them support divers, and they would be in chambers four through eight in certain areas to help, you know, switch out air tanks, um, carry the, the children, if it was like a dry area or anything like that. So they kind of took care of that. And then we were the primary, um, in chamber three and two with the Thai seals, um, and the Chinese team and a Thai civilian, um, rope rescue team. And then chamber one all the way out was going to be, um, the Thai seals and some of the Thai army. And then they would finally take them out to an ambulance who would take them to the, to the hospital. Um, so my role was in chamber three. I was the lead medic. And basically the way we figured this out was we, we had no communication from chamber three on. Um, and so everything was on a timeline. So we knew exactly or roughly how long it would take. And then we separated each kid by approximately 30 minutes so that there was no bumping into each other. Um, but that was it. Like as soon as those divers left, we didn't hear anything for hours and we were just hanging out there. And basically we had a, there was a guideline that the divers would follow and it was like a fishing line. Like we'd see that thing moving and someone would yell fish on and we'd all run over there to our <laughs> stations, you know, 
Uh, but the issue was we had no idea the status of the children. And I alluded to it earlier. We were like, hey, maybe half, if we're lucky, will survive this. Like something's going to happen. Their mass is going to get bumped and they're going to suffocate or like something's going to happen. Um, and so literally I'm just standing in the water with another PJ, a special tactics officer, um, this Chinese guy and some, some Thai seals. And we're just waiting, just standing in the water. And then a, a mass, a little, you know, Thai boy would just pop out of the water with no idea what their status was. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, so, and so it was my job to figure out, you know, what was going on. And so I'd flip them over, assess them, make sure their, you know, their air tank was good, that the mass was good, uh, that they weren't too cold. And then, you know, make sure, you know, sedation wise, they were, they were good to go. And then we would, uh, then I would make sure the diver was good too. I didn't want to ignore them because of course they're world renowned, but you know, I didn't want to grab the kid and run away. And then the diver pass out by, you know, some dive injury or something. So, so with, sure with the anesthesia though, I mean, the doc was down there at the furthest point with the, the kids doing the, his thing or her thing. And then by the time they got to you, did you have to give like certain bumps? Because you said there's eight chambers. So eight times they had to go through over five hours. Yeah, I imagine so it was, would be wearing out. Yeah. So there's certain people throughout the, the rest of the cave that were uh, trained on how to give the medications. Um, so that's how they kept them. They kept them sedated throughout. Um, and then we just want, basically our goal was they, they get, you know, prepped and then they wake up in the hospital and that's exactly what happened. So people, they've been asked multiple times. They don't remember anything. Oh man. That's so awesome. Yeah. Like this thing was so complex and there were constantly new challenges that you guys had. The fact that you performed even down to the kids, not having a traumatic experience from this entire thing is Absolutely. I don't, I don't know if I should call it a miracle or if I should, you know, just harp on the professionalism that you guys had on this one, but it's, yeah. it's straight up amazing, man. And I mean that in the, the truest sense of the word, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We were pretty excited that it happened. Um, cause we weren't sure if they would remember anything. Cause you know, even if you're sedated, sometimes your eyes are open. Yeah. So we like, we'd look at them like, Oh, they're looking right <laughs> into my soul right now, but you know, they don't, they don't remember any of it. So, um, yeah, so that was my job, and we did. Everyone had the exact same job, so I assessed them. Um, a few of the other guys helped me. We'd put them on a Skedco litter, strap them all up, take them up this little hill. Uh, the Thai medical team did their final check because they were the ones that had to give the final, like, we're good to go. Um, and then I had another PJ that had a rope lowering system set up, and they had to go down this mudslide. Um, and the kids weren't heavy enough to make the rope system work. And so myself and another PJ had to hang on it and slide down this hill to <laughs> two other PJs that were in the water with dive rigs on. And they would dive them the last, you know, about 50 feet or so to where the Australians were. <laughs> the Australians would push them up through this hole that was like this big to another special tactics team and the Thai rope rescue team who had set up high lines, like zip lines throughout this cave chamber too. Cause we didn't, we were worried about those cliffs. Cause that's where the cliffs were. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Why, yeah. Why wouldn't you have to zip line them across the hundred foot cliffs in the cave after the yeah. dive? So then we had a mix of PJs, uh, controllers. Um, the Chinese team was in there and then the Thai 
uh, rope rescue team was in there and they were all spread out in different areas to, you know, make sure this thing was safe. So they would run the kids through the zip lines. Um, and then from there, they would do a final check on them, make sure they're good, pass them off to the, there was about a hundred other ties that were in there, pass them off to them. And then they would kind of switch off carrying all the way out into the ambulance and then take them out. And so that's what we did. And we had to do that 13 times. Oh my um, goodness. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and it was exhausting physically and mentally. Like I'm telling you, I'm just standing in the water, just waiting for a dead kid to pop up. Basically. Holy and that's how I had to think of it. Cause if I thought that they were fine, then they would pop up and not be fine. And then I wouldn't be ready for it. So that's what I was going to ask. Like yeah. I, I, that sense of impending dread, because I'm, I'm the type of guy that's always waiting for that other shoe to fall. So yeah. it almost had to be worse that everybody kept coming up. Okay. Cause you're like, yeah. where, where is the bad stuff going to start happening? Yeah. Like that had, had to, to be make a- sure complacency didn't become an issue. Oh, you wow. Know, people wanted to start kind of switching jobs, you know, get more people in there. We're like, Nope, no changes, no deviations. Yeah, and do this exactly the same every single time. So you said uh, it was going to be five per day. Um, did you guys like evacuate after the end of like, oh, we're out of tanks. Let's just get everyone out of here. Or did you guys stay in the cave that entire three days, like in your chamber waiting for resupply? Like they're going to be back in four hours. Let's oh, take a nap. Yeah, we then- would all, well, almost all of us would come out. It was um, like a contingent of Thai seals that would stay in chamber three and they would kind of cycle out. I don't know what their shifts were, but they would cycle out. But the rest of us, you know, we do our job. Okay, we knocked out that four of the day. We'd go home, sleep, rest up, come back, four more. And then we just kind of did that. Um, So, yeah, we didn't want people getting too tired because towards the beginning of this thing, guys were, like, sleeping on cots outside and, and, you know, our sleep schedule was a little jacked up. So we wanted to make sure that guys were as ready as possible um, to make sure that nothing unforeseen could happen. Like we tried to mitigate as much risk as possible. Um, and so sleeping was, you know, huge for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's what we did. So, but the thing is, is yeah, all of them survived, but there were some issues that came up that were, you know, super scary. Um, we had, uh, you know, one, one of the, one of the kids, one of the first ones, actually, I think it was maybe the second or third one would just stop breathing randomly and the divers couldn't figure it out. And, you know, they would flip them over and they would breathe fine. And they're like, okay, we're good. And then they would try to dive and the kid would stop breathing. So they'd have to pop up, try to figure it out. And they sat there for about 30 minutes trying to, you know, readjust their, their wetsuit, the bungee cords, like, okay, what is wrong? The mask. And then, at some point they figured it out. They, they actually don't even know it at what point it fixed, but it, it worked out. And then, um, and then the scariest one for me probably was so you know, I said earlier, we had those timelines. So it's like 30 minutes or whatever. And as a diver would come up with a kid, one of the last things I would ask him is how far back is the next guy? And, uh, one of the guys said, you know, 30 minutes, 30 minutes goes by. 45 minutes goes by an hour goes by and we're starting to look at each other like, okay, what do we do here? So one, you know, we were told not to go past chamber three, but you know, we've already established that we'll break some rules if we need to. Hey, you've already, but, been, you've already been there. What are you going to do? Get <laughs> chewed out. I'm sure you've been chewed out before. <laughs> exactly. But the real thing we wanted to figure out was like, okay, say I, 
you know, I want to be the hero. I put my stuff on and I start diving. I swim in this way into a tight cave and then they actually are coming this way. And then we run into each other and then four people die, you know? So it was like, okay, as hard as it was, we're like, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to wait. We're just going to wait it out and figure out what happens. And I think it was almost an hour and a half by the time they finally popped up. And uh, what had happened is the diver had lost the guideline and he couldn't find it. And he had found an old pump that had been in there prior to the whole cave flooding. And he followed that, but he went the wrong way and popped up in a different part of the cave that he didn't recognize. And of course, he pops up, kid starts coming out of sedation, the kid's hypothermic, he doesn't know where he's at, and he's by himself. <laughs> and so, uh, so he's trying to figure all this out. And luckily, we had that timeline again is the next team was coming in and they like heard each other or saw each other or something. And they were able to work all that out. How we wild didn't know any of this was happening. How wild so, must that be for that guy? Like to just pop up in a cave and expect to see the entire rescue team. And he's like, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It shook him pretty good. Um, yeah. I'm terrified. Like, yeah, I, need a, I need a break. <laughs> yeah. My, my heart rate yeah. is 180. Yeah. I wasn't even there. Yeah. Um, so that happens. Um, and luckily, you know, it worked out and it was fine. Um, I had another one that freaked me out. The diver shot out of the water and was like, is he still alive? Like handed him to me. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) you know, like that shows like how much stress he was under. And then he had no way of actually being able to check because of how tight it was, you know, because there were some parts where they could kind of hold him up and you could hear the bubbles or whatever, but it must have been so tight in there. He had no way to know. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to get out of this cave or that this section as fast as possible to figure it out. So he literally um, put, he put himself at, at risk of dying yeah. coming up that fast to get the yeah. kid. Holy yeah. cow. Yep. So luckily he was fine. He just, I think he was breathing slow or, or something. Um, and the diver ended up being fine, but it was just like these little things kept happening that just drove up the intensity. Um, and, uh, trying to think of any other big ones, but you know, those were some of the big factors. Um, and luckily nothing really bad happened past, you know, that area. Um, like the, the high line works flawlessly. Um, you know, the, uh, the carrying amount was good. You know, the ambulance was pre-staged, all that stuff worked awesome. It was just some of those little things. Um, but then of course we get all the kids out and we're like, Amazing high fives. We crushed it. Uh, and you know, Murphy, you know, loves to, you know, stick his head into missions. Um, we were waiting for the Thai, uh, seals and that army guy that were back with the cave, you know, they were going to come afterwards. So we were like, well, we'll wait for them, you know, just in case something happens as they're starting to finish coming out in chamber three. Uh, you know, we had brought everyone in, we're like taking pictures, you know, uh, some, somebody got KFC in there somehow and we're celebrating. And so I'm sorry, Kentucky fried chicken. (laughs) Yep. Not sure why or where it came from, but it ended up in the cave and there was some McDonald's too. Okay. Uh, man, I, I don't even know. I I just don't believe any of this. I I can't, I don't know. We'll just wait. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. There's more. There's a bunch of people in this cave and in the, in chamber three, um, 
people had started taking out all the air tanks because we're like, hey, we're good. You know, take out. We don't need these air tanks. We're good to go. Luckily, we kept a few of the small ones because the, the water pumps that had been keeping this water at bay just exploded. <laughs> oh, so my God. Guys run over. They fix it. And they're like, okay, we're good. It explodes again. And at this point, a, one of the Australian guys comes from chamber two, comes into chamber three. And he's like, I can visibly see it moving. As I'm looking at it, I can visibly see this rising. You need to leave right now. And we had like 50, 60 people in this chamber with three small little air bottles. And this cave's about to reflood. And uh, so myself and the stow uh, were like, hey, we're going to stay back. You guys get out of here like, right now. So there you and, are, uh, belly full of 13 herbs and spices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got everyone finish your drumstick we gotta go look at him look at him he loves it let me have some extra sauce <laughs> yeah. so we call it a penguining because we had that mud slide i was talking about earlier and guys are just diving down this thing you guys slide on their on their butts, you guys are you guys are in your pain cave slide yeah, slides, yeah. yeah so guys are sliding out and myself and the stow are just watching this chaos happen we actually even in the the you know, stressful situation. We were just laughing. We're like, this is really funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just watching all yeah, these I mean, grown men just freak what out. What can you do? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so then we go and, uh, by the, by the time, you know, this was only, you know, a few minutes really by the, you know, the thing exploding. And by the time we were leaving, I think the water had risen, you know, three feet maybe to the point where there was only like this much air left from chamber three to two. And there was actually one point where there was no, like it was fully solid. Oh, um, wow. And so we actually had to like, you know, do a breath hold and it was real short, but, you know, do a breath hold and get over into chamber two. Hey, bud. And then, um, That's why you went to selection, homie. One's ready. Yeah, yeah. Get up for yeah. it, dude. Buddy breathing. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and then we, we got out and, you know, all the kids survived and, you know, mm. Man, take good. take just a second and try to t- try to describe when you guys were out, when you and the stow were out, no kidding, there's no more danger. You guys are on the back end of it. And not only like through whatever miracle did everybody survive, but you brought the entire team out. Man, what was the vibe at that at that cave? Yeah, so a lot of us it was almost strange because one, it was surreal. So we're more just like, well, I'm tired, you know. But yeah. you know, the fact that we just done this and um, you know, we we're in the cave and so it's just us. So it's kind of more, you know, work, you know, we're just walking out of the cave and then we walk out and there's just tons of people, you know, cheering us on and taking pictures and oh, wow. we're trying to get out. We're just like, Hey, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, <get> we're <laughs> also excited. It was just kind of a weird combination of like, I don't know. It was just strange. Like you didn't want to just run around excited, but you were in, inside. You were super excited, but it was just still. You just won. You just won yeah. the Super Bowl, man. Yeah. Like, how are you supposed to keep that emotion in check? Like, even has it changed? Like, now that you look back on it, um, have your has time kind of changed the way that you feel about the about the rescue, or is it just sort of surreal? Yeah, I still sometimes I think about it, and I'm like, I don't know how that worked. Like, yeah. Like, how did that work? How did I, yeah. How did they survive? And then how did we survive? Um, 
I didn't mention, but there was one Thai prior seal that did die, um, which was a tragedy, but still like the fact that I feel like more people should have died in this, like with how many bad things happened, how high the risk was, it just kind of blows my mind to this day. Like, you know, that, that all of us were able to pull this off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think, you know, know. one of the, one of the key things that they look for now and for guys in selection is the ability to problem solve. And you guys have obviously exemplified that throughout the course of you telling this entire story. And I'm sure looking back at it, you're like, you know, you make the best decision with whatever information you have at the time. And it sounds like, you know, there are a lot of barriers to make, making sure that it was kind of successful. The, the water coming up and the kids having to be sedated, like so many different things that you guys had to overcome and just constant problem solving going through your head and figuring out like, what do I need to do now in order to make this stuff happen? So what were some of your best lessons learned and some things that you think, uh, you know, any of these guys that are getting ready to do this kind of job and go to selection, what can they kind of take away from this and kind of apply to the selection? Yeah. So a few things you kind of hit on is the problem solving. Like we, you know, we're good at a lot of these different things, but we're usually not the experts in any one thing. But one thing that we are good at is problem solving. Like that's what we're made to do is we, we solve the air force's problems. Um, so the fact that we were able to get there, figure out, okay, we're not the experts, but who is the experts and then grab them. Okay. Who's the experts in this, grab them. Okay, these guys grab them and then try to get them all on the same page and then methodically mission plan that. That's a skill a lot of people don't have is to be able to just like take all these assets and then put them all together and be like, all right, this is how this is going to work. So I think that's the biggest thing that we had. And that's something that I, I think people need to focus more on is that, you know, that's really what we're there for is to solve these weird, complex problems. Um, and that's kind of a lot of the... Um, a lot of the training iterations that you go through or selection or something, you may be like, I don't understand. Like I'm never going to be sitting here with one snorkel and passing it with another guy. Like that would be dumb, (laughs) but it causes, that is a stressor that can help you later, you know, and there's like these little things that you don't realize. Um, Maybe people, when they came up with that, probably didn't even realize exactly, but it's like those, these little tests that you run through over and over and over and over again, help you, in ways that you won't even fathom uh, later on. Um, And then other issues we ran into is, uh, so as operators, sometimes we can be pretty brash and we're like, this is how this is going to happen. I'm the expert. Get out of my face. You can't do that. Like there's certain instances where you can do that, maybe in a combat environment, but there's other times where you have to understand cultures and you have to understand points of view and you have to understand like, what's this person's goal? What's my goal? How can we work this out? And that was something we really had to figure out with the the Thai government and the Thai civilians is like, they have a very different culture. Um, Well, and they have their own political goals and optics that they're concerned with and a whole bunch of layers on top of there that had to be really, really complex. Yeah. And that's, we used, that's where we kind of found those experts. Like um, there was a guy named Josh Morris, who was a civilian and uh, he was like our main connection. And if without him, I don't think, this would have worked just because of that cultural barrier and the, the relationship that he had already built with the, some of these people was how we were able to get a voice. And so 
understanding that and not just being like, I don't understand you. So you must be wrong. That's not the right, that right attitude. So um, that was a, a huge learning curve for us to try to fit into this situation and be like, okay, we're not in charge. Here is our plan. Do you like it? You know, mm-hmm. and then trying to humble ourselves really to that point and then be like, okay, you don't like it. What about this? And then just kind of work in that. Um, I think is, you know, it's a huge thing and it's hard to, it's hard to teach, but it's something that you kind of, you'll kind of figure out, um, or you'll, you'll learn the hard way. Um, but it's something to be aware of. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to be ready for these kind of situations. Not everything is running and gunning and, you know, dropping bombs. Like sometimes you have to, you know, I wouldn't say play the game, but, you know, be a little bit more political and, and try to get the mission done in ways that you don't think you would have to do. That makes sense. But yeah, it sounds yeah, I mean, like, go ahead. Trent. I mean, there's only really two things that I've heard consistently since the day I got on team. And one is soft is just high level problem solving. Like you said, and two is it's personality based. Like it's a personality based business. And that's how you get through all those different uh, types of mission sets and scenarios and build those relationships and understand how to get to mission uh, success uh, through, you know, relationships and personalities. So yeah, I've always heard that stuff. Yeah, it sounds like overall this was a huge practice in water confidence. You know, if we were to tell a person that's just off the street, this is part of selection, you're going to have to do all the things that you just described in this podcast right now, that go from one cave into another cave. You don't know, like you're facing a wall, you have to go under this wall into another cave. You don't know how far it's going to be. You're just going to have to go through this murky water that's cold to find some kids that possibly are not still alive and then figure out how you're going to drag them out. That's uh, extreme practice in watercon and you know guys that are in the pool in clear water it's 88 degrees or whatever the temperature of the pool is and they're just passing a snorkel back and forth i think it's important to try to just fathom exactly all the things that you're going through and it's like an extreme level like you went through selection in doc and you kind of paid your dues you can reach back to that and think about all the times when you were choking on water and how hard it was during 10 ups and all that stuff with your team and now here you are with your team and you're doing kind of the same thing but it's reality life or death and like you said someone actually died down there a person who was you know a little bit higher level in their profession they have experience and all that kind of stuff and it's a constant danger kind of thing. So staying calm, like you were talking about and being able to just compartmentalize and do the best problem solve with whatever you have in front of you and making sure that all of your team stays alive is, is huge. And that's what a lot of the instructors are looking for is your ability to do that and just organize like, okay, this is what I got. Let me reform a plan. This is our best shot right here. Let's try this. Let's do this. So it's really awesome to hear, Um, all the things that you went through and kind of the basics of, you know, none of this by itself, I guess, was really that hard. But all this compounded is like ridiculous. And Mm -hmm. good job, like keeping everything together. Like you said, you're the main medic and it sounds like you kept your cool through this entire ordeal. Um, So how long were you down there overall um, doing all this stuff? Was the total um, time elapsed? I think we were there for a total of three weeks. Um, oh, wow. We had a few days on the back end to, you know, reconstitute and get out of there. And then, you know, we had a, you know, a few days up in the mountains. And then we had the main time was either diving or mission planning or prepping gear. 
Um, so yeah, we were there for about three weeks total. Um, yeah. And then one thing I was just thinking of as you're talking is like, again, sometimes the water confidence, for instance, doesn't always make sense, but it's one of those, like, we need people, if you can be calm when you can't breathe, like when you're, when you can breathe, it's like, cool. Like, this is fine. Like I can, I can handle this. Um, and, and that's one of those, like, it's a little way that you don't realize that that helps is putting you under stress when you can't breathe so that when you're in a firefight or figuring out how to get some kids, you're under rotor wash in a, in the ocean, like all these strange things that you can't simulate in a selection. Um, that's what those, that's what those are for is to, to get you ready for things that, you know, you can't simulate. Yeah, you got to be moving when your heart rate's up, when everyone else is freaking out around you. Like you said, when that one dude kind of bolted out and then thrusted a kid at you, I'm sure yeah. your immediate thought was like, oh, this kid is, yeah. something's really wrong with this kid, but yeah. he was fine. You have to just not tailor everyone else's, or your own attitude to everyone else's and just stay calm. So that is huge. Trent, Aaron, you got any more uh, questions or anything? I mean, I got like a million questions. But <laughs> I got so many questions. Yeah. Uh, no, we're good. Yeah, no, Obi, thanks for coming on and telling your story, man. Like that's just absolutely outstanding. And again, from you know, from one one PJ to another, man, great job. Way to way to uphold that motto and and the whole the whole team over there internationally, everybody that was involved. Man, this was a once in a lifetime sort of thing, and you guys just crushed it. So thanks for coming on and telling the story. It's important to, to get it out there. So I I just appreciate you, man. That's all. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I think. Everyone knows part of this story, but I think it's really important to learn about the people that, you know, did it and all these different career fields, all these different countries, like, you know, everyone came together and figured this out, worked outside of their, you know, their careers, their, their lane, you know, sometimes you got to go outside that lane. And this was proof of, you know, if you're willing to adapt and, and humble yourself and, and bring in people that know more than, you know, like it's insane, the, the things that you can achieve and figure out in some of these missions that you may have. Yeah. I want to thank you again, um, for coming on and for all those people that are listening right now, make sure that you check out the other episode we talked to Obi about and any of the other episodes, we'd love to have you back on the show again. I know you're going to keep on doing awesome stuff. Um, and are you going to go around and do some more speaking tours or any of that yeah. kind of stuff? In the yeah. Future? So I leave, um, in a couple of days, I'm going to the Air Force Academy for the uh, National Character and Leadership Symposium. Um, I'm going to be on a board there, um, answering some questions and and doing a tour and, and hanging out with some of the cadets. And then I move from there and then I go to Orlando for the Air Warfare Symposium, um, doing so much stuff. I think I'll be speaking on a board and talking to some people. And then I head back in, to Japan and I go back to my you know normal job. Um, and then I may have some stuff later on in the year. Cool. So if you guys are in that area, um, you know, we'll share some stories on the ones ready page about, you know, if you're in the area, whenever he's able to speak and hopefully you guys can go hook up with him, talk to him. Um, really humble, awesome guy, lots to learn from OB for sure. Um, really appreciate you coming out here and talking about this stuff. Uh, I think it's important for us to, again, take the lessons learned, apply them to the future generation that's going to be put in these scenarios. You know, who knows what it's going to be in the future, but it's important to take these lessons and apply them as much as we can. So I really appreciate you. You know, 
if you go through this whole episode again, I, it was hard for me to like actually compartmentalize everything you were saying and, uh, you know, really awesome job with all of it. So check out the documentary too. If you can't picture it, we'll throw some pictures up on here so you guys can try and visualize what he's talking about as, as we see it through his eyes. Um, it was great to just listen to. So make sure you guys check out the previous episode and you guys can reach out anytime to us info at one's or you can hit us up on Instagram. And then if you have any questions for OB, just shoot them to us and we'll shoot them to him and we'll help you guys out that way. So thanks again for listening to the podcast. Love to have you on again, OB. Thanks, Trent and Aaron, for taking the time out. Also, we'll see you guys on the next one. Go out there, earn each breath, and work on that water con. Get it. Train hard, everybody. Later. Thanks for having me.